Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local secure offsite backup storage solution. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Notre Dame brings five. Bradley steps back in trouble. He sacks at the 15-yard line. J.D. Bertrand got him. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And down he goes. At the 16-yard line, Justin Adamilola got there first. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Oh, intercepted. This will be a pick six. Into the end zone goes Jack Kaiser. 42-yard touchdown. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on this Monday evening. I'm Darren Pritchett with you again. Apologize. The voice is not 100% today with a little chest cold, but the golden voice of Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold, illustrated blueandgold.com, is here to talk some Notre Dame football. He was at Keenan Stadium in Chapel Hill for Saturday's 45-32 Notre Dame victory over North Carolina. Well, Tyler, you were sitting in the press box. You had a great view of the field. Just to be sure, it wasn't like 14 Notre Dame offensive players against 12 or 11 Carolina defensive players because it sure seemed like it watching it on TV considering the wide-open receivers at times Drew Pine had to throw to. Well, yeah, sitting uh, on your couch, I'm sure it seemed that way because I'm sure I went back and rewatched the game, so I actually can confirm this on some of those plays, it looked like North Carolina had defensive backs completely out of the camera shot, which is just uh, incredible to think about considering you could probably play one yard away from some of these Notre Dame wide receivers and they're still not going to get behind you. Apparently Gene Chizik <laughs> and North Carolina didn't uh, read that scouting report. Uh, there, was a, there was a third down to Jaden Thomas where I think the defensive back was playing 12 to 13 yards off the line of scrimmage. It was third and five. Jaden Thomas literally ran a five-yard out and picked up the first down in the second half of that game. So, yeah, I was sitting there in the press box and uh, just as bewildered as some of the people at home. But, you know, for Notre Dame's sake, it was uh, this had the makings of a get-right game, and North Carolina's defense, or lack thereof, played into that. And credit Notre Dame, give credit where credit is due. They still had to go out and execute those plays and, no execute is the word that they've been harping on all season. They still had to go out and make plays. And rewatching that game and watching it there live in North Carolina, the Notre Dame offense obviously came to play. They were alert. They were awake. They were ready. They knew that they probably had a little bit of a mismatch. But it's just like a boxing match or, you know, go to any other sport. There's always going to be a favorite and there's always going to be an underdog. Technically, Notre Dame was the underdog by, by most betting lines, but Notre Dame knew that when its offense was on the field, it was going to have an advantage because pretty much every team that North Carolina has played or will play, the offense on the other side has an advantage. And, yeah, Notre Dame goes from looking like one of the worst offenses in FBS football, and the numbers would say that through week three, to one of the best in week four alone. Uh, They have a bye week to – I'm sure everyone will kind of forget about what happened in North Carolina by the time <laughs> the Irish get on the field against BYU and Las Vegas in a couple of weeks because, you know, it's a whole new season, it's a whole new week, it's a whole new opponent. But for one week only, North Carolina and subsequently some of the things that Notre Dame did made the Irish look like a very confident and pretty, you know, very good offensive team. 
Yeah, even Dan Orlovsky on the broadcast mentioned they're just giving Drew Pine easy throws. Now, you still have to throw it accurately and get the right read, but they were giving him easy throws, and your example you know, plays into that, which leads to my next question, Tyler. We give credit to Notre Dame for executing. They did what they needed to do. Carolina gave them, I think, some great opportunities, and Notre Dame took advantage. Maybe two weeks ago they don't take advantage. Who knows? But to be fair to the whole situation we don't want to build this up to be like oh it's fixed look at him go after you know seven days of work all of a sudden this offense is ready to roll how do you personally balance how much Notre Dame got better offensively but also factor in Carolina's 126 in run defense and 129 in pass efficiency defense yeah, it's definitely a balancing act. I'm looking at the stat sheet right now. I think there are still some holes for Notre Dame, as many holes as there can be when you pass for 289 yeah. yards and rush for 287 yards. That's a balanced day at the office for any football team that's going out and playing against anybody. But you look at the Notre Dame receiving chart, and obviously Michael Mayer is at the top, seven catches, 88 yards, one touchdown. You like to see Lorenzo Styles right there underneath him, five catches, 69 yards, and that long 30-yard touchdown. But then it's Chris Tyree with four catches for 24 yards. And Logan Diggs, three catches, 65 yards. Two running backs, you know, making up almost 100 of those passing yards that you have. That's awesome. That's good offense. We saw it against Cal. Notre Dame does not win the Cal game without a very healthy output from the running backs in the passing game. But that is still that still goes to show how ineffective guys like Jaden Thomas are, who only had two catches for 24 yards, or Braden Lindsey two catches for 12 yards, and then Matt Salerno rounds out the receiving one catch for seven yards. So teams that are competent enough to take Michael Mayer out of the game as much as they can, you're never going to take him out. But even Cal held him to two catches for 10 yards. And I know one of those was the game-winning touchdown, but two catches for 10 yards, you will take that every single time against Michael Mayer. Subsequently, it was a, a tied game in the fourth quarter, and Notre Dame only won by a touchdown. So you take Mayer out, and maybe Styles doesn't – Styles has been very consistent, and that's been very key for Notre Dame's offense. But somebody is going to find a way to take him out of the game when you do that. And if you stymie Mayer as much as you can, you're left with what Pine did against Cal, which was, you know, it was effective game plan, and he executed it to the best of his ability, but it was still only 150 yards and two touchdowns. You play a team like BYU, they might get you. You play a team like Clemson, they might get you. I know USC didn't look good this past weekend against Oregon State, but. You know, that's probably a one-off and more of an anomaly than anything else. They're going to score offense, offensive points. So there, there are some holes. And, yeah, this was very much – if I had to say lean one way or the other, put it into perspective this way, was this more of Notre Dame all of a sudden clicking overnight and becoming an offensive judge or not? Or was it playing against – you laid out the numbers right there. One of the worst teams in the FBS defensively. I think it's more of the latter. I think this had more to do with North Carolina being so bad than it did Notre Dame just waking up. And again, we're going to find out when Notre Dame plays a team like BYU, who's better than North Carolina defensively, and even Syracuse is a game defensively. So Notre Dame did what it had to do, yeah. but let's not act like this was a cure-all and this was, you know, this is foreshadowing what's going to happen the rest of the way. There's still eight games left, and none of those eight teams. I'm not. 
UNLV might have a better defense than North Carolina for all we know. Oh, boy. Well, I hope it is a cure-all because I like that cure-all to go to my poor Broncos after watching last night's game winning 11-10. to <laughs> I just hope we can get better in five weeks, let alone just one week. Tyler Hork is my guest, the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. You know, we always talk about pro football focus and their grades, and I was reading a story at blueandgold.com today about the grades from the Carolina game and you know I I like looking at them especially the offensive linemen because that's the hardest thing to grade I think on the offensive side of the football and you look at Drew Pine had a good day but he's only eighth in line for Notre Dame players for grade so I thought that was kind of interesting but you know what at the top once again it was Joe Alt for a third straight game he graded out the best I think one thing I'm very confident in saying that the offensive line on Saturday played extremely well no matter who was across from them. I think they have gotten so much better since the first game that this is a really important development because with this starting to fall into place, if I'm right, then everything Marcus Freeman has talked about, wanting to be an offensive line program and defensive line program, which also allows you to run the football, all of a sudden that takes a lot of pressure off Drew Pine if this becomes a consistent part of their offense. Yeah, it goes back to the balancing act thing that we just talked about. How much of it was North Carolina was just not physical enough and not getting up to the line of scrimmage, or how much was it Notre Dame offensive linemen pushing those guys back and creating those running lanes and you know opening up holes for guys like Audrey Estime and, and Logan Diggs and Chris Tyree. In that case, you know when you're looking at it less holistically and just kind of zeroing in on that mm-hmm. facet of the game, I think it was more of the Notre Dame offensive line playing well. And yes, that's because they have better players up front offensively than Notre, than North Carolina did defensively, but those guys came to play and you could see it each and every down. They were really pushing guys back and they were, they knew what they were doing. They were assignment sound. This was a more complex game plan than it was against Cal and they looked better. And then not to say they were bad against Cal because I think they took a leap in that game too, but they took another one against North Carolina. It was really refreshing to see because whether it was the rollout stuff, obviously the wheel route was executed to yep. perfection. The offensive line is in on those plays, too. They have to get defenders thinking play's going to go this way when it's actually going that way. So, you know, football's an 11-man sport, and five of those are offensive linemen on every single play. So that, that just shows you how important that particular position group was. It's why we were talking about them when they played poorly against Ohio State and Marshall. It's why we're talking about them now, because against – North Carolina, that 5.6 yards per carry average that you see for the entire team, and 7.9 for Audrey Estime on 17 carries, 5.3 for Chris Tyree on 15 carries. Even Logan Diggs ran 10 times for 50 yards. That all starts up front, and those three guys will be the first to tell you that. Tommy Reese will tell you that, and Drew Pine will tell you that. So the Notre Dame offensive line, they're, you know, Notre Dame is trying to build its identity on those guys up front, and as the season progresses, I do agree with you that that is becoming more and more the case. Tyler, I mentioned earlier, I thought the Irish defense at times made Drake May look kind of normal after he looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the country over his first three games against lesser competition. If you consider his day normal, how do you think the Irish were able to make him look like that? I also think that he looked uh, incredibly pedestrian, average, whatever word you want to use. He looked a little flustered. Yes. And I think that was the name of the game 
for Notre Dame. They got to him a little bit. The Riley Mills sack early was huge because Notre Dame struggled a little bit offensively early on. You have to remember that uh, I think the Irish did not score any points in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. It wasn't exactly, oh, no, here we, here we go again. Maybe on that first series when Drew Pine had a couple of passes batted down, that was like, oh, no, this might be a long day offensively. But early on, the Notre Dame defense had to do its thing because Everybody going into that game said the same thing. You cannot let this one get away from you early. The North Carolina offense is too good. And what happens, Riley Mills goes out and and gets a big sack and kind of lets Drake May know, hey, we're here. We are those dudes. Uh, Let's quote Jason Adamalola for like the 15th time (laughs) on this radio show. And and what he said, they wanted to make that known. And I think they did. And from then on, uh, Drake May was missing some easy throws. Uh, You see him ground some balls and, he didn't put the ball into places with precision like he had in the first three games, and I think that was a product of Notre Dame being the best defense that he faced. He, he went out there and he was like, whoa, you know, this isn't Georgia State, this isn't Florida A&M, this isn't Appalachian State. So, yeah, it was, it was a complete effort from the defense, and if you look at his stat line, you're going to see 300 yards, five touchdowns, zero picks. You're like, whoa, Notre Dame won in spite of Drake May having an awesome day, but pretty much half yards, I think. If you added up, 144 yards came on two throws, and Notre Dame would like those two throws back. Clarence Lewis got beat by Antoine Green, and then I don't know what Notre Dame was doing on fourth and 21, but Cam Hart lets Antoine Green run right by him, and then the safety isn't able to get over in time, and then you have another long touchdown. But you take those two away, and you're looking at a Drake May day where he completes about 50% of his passes for 150 yards and three touchdowns, and Drew Pine pretty much had that same, same stat line last week against Cal, and everyone was asking, ooh, is this going to be enough? Nobody was asking, whoa, does Drake may have enough in the tank before this game? And if that would have been his stat line, I think a lot of people would have been saying, well, this Notre Dame defense is for real. But if you watched the entire game, like, you know, we have to assume most of the people listening this to this did, and obviously we did as well, you would know that Drake may was flustered in that game, and Notre Dame made him pretty uncomfortable. It's kind of strange to say when a guy scores two touchdowns, he wasn't a major factor in the game, but Josh Downs was their marquee skill position player. He hurt the Irish the previous year at Notre Dame Stadium. I know he had two touchdowns, and hey, that's a major factor in the game, but otherwise, five targets, five catches, 32 yards, those are numbers I think you can live with going into Saturday's ballgame. Yeah, absolutely, and two words one name is the reason why that happened, Tariq Bracey. And and this Mm. is another one of those things where pro football focus is going to show you that he was one of the worst players on the field that day. But I think he did enough to disrupt Downs, who mainly plays in the slot. He's a slot guy, and Tariq Bracey is a slot corner. So that was mano-mano, Eston-Best type of situation. And I think Bracey played him pretty well. And even on that first touchdown that Downs scored, I mean, that's just an incredible play by an incredible receiver. You probably can't ask for much more in coverage going to the corner like that. But, yeah, you you live with that stat line. And, you know, you don't like to see the two touchdowns that he scored. But it's kind of a trade-off. Last year, he goes for 10 catches and 142 yards against Notre Dame, but he didn't score any touchdowns. This week, it was the touchdowns, but he didn't do a lot of the things between the 20s that could really hurt you and set up other people to score touchdowns. So if you're going to live with one or the other against a player like that, that's probably what it's going to be what it's going to be. But to limit a guy like that who, you know, he can, 
he can get 32 yards every single time he catches the ball. He caught the ball five times for 32 yards. And uh, I think he was only targeted those five times as well. So that, that right there shows you that Notre Dame did a good job of just not letting him, him get open, not letting him have the middle of the field. And if that was a game plan going in, and it had to be because Josh Downs is Josh Downs, then Notre Dame executed it pretty well. I'm still stunned that Carolina had two weeks to prepare for this game, and that's all their defense could offer. I mean, yeah, horrible. I mean, I, yeah, I, like I said, Gene Shizik, um Oof. I mean, it, I would have stayed on the, the ACC, SEC network. I, I don't know which one he was on, but he was doing a pretty good job. I didn't mind listening to him. I think a lot of people in Chapel Hill mind watching his defense, and uh, they, don't, they probably don't want to see too much more of it. Just hypothetical, your opinion, what do you think is going to be the focus of Marcus Freeman and his coaching staff as Notre Dame embarks on their bye week this week? Of course, it leads into that matchup October 8th in Las Vegas against Brigham Young University. What do you think they're going to emphasize this week? Well, if you're talking from just an overall you know, team standpoint, I would harp on the fact that look how quickly things can change. Two weeks ago, we're sitting here talking about an 0-2 Notre Dame football team. And is this team even going to make a bowl game? Is this team, you know, what, what is in store in 2022 for these guys? And then what does that do for the rest of the Marcus Freeman tenure? That's what we were talking about. Two weeks later, they're 2-2. Two and two. I think they're feeling a lot better about themselves. They're pretty confident. They're probably thinking that they can go in and beat BYU in Las Vegas. I don't think anybody thought that was possible, especially before BYU had lost the game. So I would be harping on, hey, this thing can really change in an instant. So you better do all you can to make sure it keeps changing in the positive direction because you do this that wrong or you do that wrong, and then all of a sudden you lose to BYU and you have a losing record again and you feel like you're climbing uphill. So I would tell them, hey, realize what this feels like and make sure you keep doing the things that need to be done to, to keep it this way. And then X's and O's is schematically, I think Notre Dame kind of is what it is this year. The defense is, is really good. Um, the 32 points and you know some of those garbage time yards that North Carolina got will – kind of take away from some of that performance but by and large three quarters played an excellent game and I guess that kind of goes back to some of what happened earlier in the season though you could say Notre Dame played an excellent game for three quarters at Ohio at Ohio State and probably three quarters against Marshall as well so just kind of harp on finishing ball games playing 60 minutes because when this team does put it all together especially defensively I think it can be, be pretty good and then offensively I think this team just needs to keep progressing. They're, they're starting to find a little bit of an identity. I think Drew Pine can do a little bit more than a lot of people would have given him credit for going into this situation. you got to keep him upright, and that starts with the offensive yep. line. And then you got to be able to run the ball as well because when Drew Pine is protected and he's got a running game to work with, I don't think he's one of the worst quarterbacks in America. And I don't know if he's one of the best, but he's definitely serviceable. And Notre Dame has figured that out through the last two weeks. I've already been asked – if Drew Pine was the starter for all four games, what the record of the team is going to be. Maybe we'll save that for next week and have a conversation about that. It's it's interesting, but I don't know if it changes a whole lot. And as I throw to you about what's happening at blueandgold.com, I didn't realize until you posted the story a little bit ago that the Texas player that was shoved by the Texas Tech fan when they ran out on the field to celebrate their win over the Longhorns, it was a former Notre Dame player that got shoved. That's right. That was Ogi Oafu, and I didn't know if I 
Ubi, I'm sorry. I didn't know if I was going to write about it when it happened. I saw the videos, and yesterday on Twitter, it was it was going super viral. Yeah. But today, today Steve Sarkeesian spoke about it, and, and the reason I posted it is because I included a quote in there that said Ovi did everything right. And you know, this this could have been a situation where, if you don't know the you know the background really quickly, Texas Tech fan comes up and shoves Ovi from behind pretty forcibly, you know, almost knocks him down. I'm not sure what his height and weight is, but Notre Dame fans know big defensive lineman slash linebacker when he was here he, he can make some plays up front in the front seven if that's a player who has a temper he turns and, and an ugly scene arises in Lubbock but you know he took his lump and a lump that he did definitely did not deserve no player deserves that so yeah it was an interesting comment I think Steve Sarkeesian has a lot of respect for him and even though he left Notre Dame I think a lot of people have respect for him as well but yeah you can find that there on blueandgold.com and i just finished writing an article looking at every explosive passing play so every play of 15 or more yards in the notre dame offense against north carolina i try to analyze something every week that's what we got on tap for tomorrow morning and definitely go read my co-worker patrick ingles rewatch of the game every time he sees the game i I don't know how he sees so much he's a smart guy but that's all in there blueandgold.com and even though it's a bye week, we're going to have plenty more for you guys the rest of the way. Kind of some uh, one-third of the way through type of analysis and look back and projections as well. So blueandgold.com, $1 for one year. It is the place to be. Only eight more games left this season, so hop in now. It's uh, it's flying by, but yeah. you know we try to cover it to the best of our ability. And you're doing a terrific job. And, of course, Tyler joins me for game day sports beat on Saturdays. We get this Saturday off. We'll just sit back and watch some football on the couch. But uh, we'll talk to you again next week as we start to rev up the engines once again for what could be a very interesting ball game. And, and it could define the rest of the year for the Irish as they take on BYU. So, Tyler, thank you so much for your time and your analysis, as always. And we'll catch up with you next week. Yeah, Darren. Enjoy the weekend off. Well, we got a little hockey game, I guess, Sunday night, but otherwise it'll be a nice, quiet Saturday, that's for sure. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tyler. All right, thank you. You bet. Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. His thoughts from the press box in Chapel Hill as the Irish took care of North Carolina, 45-32 to even the record at 2-2. Two and two. 5.53 is our time. This is Sportsbeat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local secure off-site backup storage solution. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com.